Hello and welcome to the Simply Learning Tuition podcast channel. My name is Rosaline and I work with Simply Learning Tuition, a private tutors and education consultancy company in Kensington, London. This episode, we'll be talking with Chloe Billington and Karen Raingold. Chloe is the Director of Child in Time, a child and adolescent counselling service which works to set up qualified therapists in schools. Chloe herself has extensive experience as a school counsellor, having worked in several London schools before launching Child in Time in 2013. Karen is an art psychotherapist, currently practising for Child in Time within schools. She has also worked for charities, the NHS and as a private practitioner, giving her a thorough insight into various therapeutic channels. She has been a practising therapist for over 13 years. This episode, Chloe and Karen are joining us to discuss emotional and mental well-being. We'll also address some of the common challenges which parents face, including encouraging your child to complete their homework, what to do if your child is misbehaving in school, and tips for tackling sibling rivalry. So welcome to you both. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, Perhaps we could begin by explaining a little bit about Child in Time and how you reached where you are today. Hi, I'm Chloe. Lovely to be here. Um, As you said, we started Child in Time. Well, I started 10 years ago when I was a school counsellor myself in primary and secondary schools. And it was actually a really organic process because I was already working in this kind of in this business. And I realised there was much more needed, more therapists needed, more schools looking for therapists. And so I reached out to people I then knew just to fill a particular post in the area. I was in Tower Hamlets at the time. Three years in, Karen came on board and started working in a primary school. And slowly it's it's grown through trust because it's such a trust-based industry. Mm, I and we're still, it's still schools-based counselling primarily, but we have a new venture which we're going to talk about as well for parents. And that sounds very exciting. Um, Karen, perhaps I could just pass over to you and you could explain a little bit about what you do because I'm sure there are many parents who may not know what exactly your role entails. Hi, thanks for having me on here as well. Um, So art psychotherapy is a form of psychotherapy where art is used as a mode of communication and expression. Um, And then alongside that, there is the kind of relationship with the therapist and often a lot of talking that goes on as well. Really, it's it's a way for a child or it's used with adults as well, but obviously I'm schools based so um, I work with children to um, come to a better understanding of themselves and you know what they're finding challenging and the therapist is there to kind of listen help question maybe what it is they're expressing what it is um, what their communication is Um, we also kind of look at how the child relates to the therapist um, as a kind of indication of other relationships in their life and their attachments as well and so together we kind of try and reframe some of you know maybe their perceptions on relationships that they come out with kind of a healthier outlook and skills to improve their well-being. Mm. I mean it sounds incredibly interesting and do you find that you know it is such a lovely relationship that you do end up building with the child especially through a medium like art? Yeah, definitely. It's such a special role to have, um, like really unique. Um, and um, yeah, children can absolutely build that relationship with you in a, in a way that they don't 
have with teachers and and also parents sometimes as well it's quite it's kind of um quite unique um definitely has its challenges so it's not always just kind of um happy or easy but um you know that's all part of what makes it interesting as well just finding what works for different children and um breaking down some of those kind of defenses or barriers you know that's where often some of the most effective work is actually happening but um yeah it is very rewarding and um special mm. and would you have any advice for parents who are perhaps hesitant at the idea of therapy not only for them for their child but maybe even themselves do you think that art psychotherapy tends to be a more approachable way into traditional therapy um yeah um it definitely um that is one of the kind of selling points of art therapy um is that um it can um engage people who don't engage so well with talking therapy obviously it's a really natural choice for children um you know alongside you know play therapy and other forms of arts therapy as well um because children just um communicate more naturally sometimes through kind of play and arts than they do through talking um but in terms of kind of the hesitance that parents might have um you know I think it's really natural and kind of understandable I suppose often it kind of comes from um possibly misunderstandings about therapy um a sense of maybe um ideas possibly being put into children's heads or um yeah just not really being kind of clear on, on the process but you know that's absolutely not the case kind of you know like I was saying it tends to be um very child-led um and um you know although therapists are skilled to kind of have a sense of what is happening for a child it's very much about the child just gaining a greater kind of understanding of themselves and what their challenges are and how they can um work through them Chloe, would you say that this is something you also, do you have the same sort of perspective as Karen on on parents who are maybe hesitant at therapy? Yes, and I'm, I don't think therapy is needed for everyone, but if, if, if a parent is hesitant because they're ambivalent or they're curious or half of them thinks yes, and they, they, but they can't quite make the step, I would encourage them to, to have a first meeting, to have an initial consultation just to talk about what their concerns are and get another perspective on whether therapy might be a helpful approach for their child. So there's no to not think I have to get in it and then it's a long, long process and I don't know if I want it. Just have a conversation, open it out and see what you think, because many of the positive outcomes in terms of research are actually to do with the relationship between the client and the therapist. So it's also finding the right therapist. And you'll know pretty quickly if this person connects with you or, or connects with your child. So because it, it is a very personal dynamic. And I suppose that leads us quite nicely into the new venture that you two have started together, which is aimed at parents. So would you explain what this is? Because I do feel like it's particularly pertinent for those parents who maybe just want that initial meeting. Exactly. So the, it, it is a conversation. This is a meeting with parents. So it's not therapy, but it's for parents who have something particular they're worried about or they're supporting their child with a particular issue. And they've seen lots of advice on approaches. They don't know if that's quite right for them. 
and they want the confidence when they're thinking about how to support their child. So they want to talk to someone who's a professional, who's got wide experience. And these meetings are one-off sessions. So you can book in straight away for a one-off session. It's not therapy. And this, if you want, you can have, we suggest a follow-up because it's quite useful to get some ideas to then try them out and then come back and, and meet the same therapist and see how it's going. So it's very much the idea is it's quick. You're not sitting on a waiting list. You can speak to someone soon. You can see if you connect and you come away with some ideas. Because I imagine, you know, the benefits of this new venture are some of the reasons why parents might not approach therapy is the, the long waiting lists, etc. Exactly. And this is all online, I should say. So it's, you know, you can fit it into your day. Everyone's so busy. It's, it's really hard to get to a therapy room and to get there every week if it's weekly. And obviously me and Karen, I'm a qualified therapist as well. We both believe in the value of long-term therapy, but there's a place, there's a space for everything. And sometimes you just want to have a conversation with a specialist or you want to work through your own thinking around the best way to look after your child. No, well, thank you very much. I'm sure many parents will find that worth remembering. Um, if you don't mind, though, I'm just going to throw a few common parenting challenges your way to both of you, really, as I think it'd be quite good to get some advice on the best ways to think about tackling them. These are perhaps issues that a lot of parents have encountered and that we've encountered here at Simply Learning Tuition. So we'll start with what should parents do if a school reports that their child is misbehaving in class? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things to say. My, my first thought would be take a moment to reflect on how you as a parent feel when you hear that. So in a way, just to notice your emotional reaction, I can speak from personal experience about this. So just when you when you hear that, do you feel immediately defensive of your child and want to say want to fight back in a way that's really natural? Or do you feel a completely different side? Do you feel ashamed and like, how has your child let you down? And just to notice your feelings and your reactions, which are totally valid, whatever they are, they might relate to how you felt when you were at school um, or to some your own anxieties around the way your children are. So I think notice your reaction and then think what an amazing resource it is to hear what the teacher thinks, to get an insight into what they're seeing, because they see your child in a completely different environment. So you can learn so much. And so there's, there's, there's thinking about what you can gain from that conversation. And then there's most importantly, what you do with that information and how you talk to your child, which is where as a counselor, as a therapist, we would really focus. So I'm thinking the most important thing is you want to have an open conversation so just like with the teacher, you might notice yourself reacting and then think, let me just find out more with with your child. Think about it a bit first. So when you speak to them, you're really open and you can ask them, you know, can you tell me about this? So you're not coming in with um, the kind of authoritarian. I have heard this, <laughs> you behave like, which is tempting because a part of you might think I want to show that I'm on side with the school. Education's really important. When I was a child, this was what happened to me. All those things are completely natural. But I think, crucially, an open conversation is going to get you much further. And to find out more so that you're thinking about the feeling, how the child feels, and ultimately, what is the meaning of this bad behaviour? 
what's going on for them why is it happening and the more caring information you can gather the more your child feels supported and you can increase the the, the conversation with the school i think it's also very relevant that you mention working with the school do you have a perspective on that relationship between school between parent between between the child yeah one thing I was going to sort of add to Chloe and is relevant in this context is kind of um, ensuring that um, both you as the parent and the school are kind of um, talking about or understanding behaviour as a um, um, as a sign of communication Um, because I suppose sometimes it it can't yeah children's behavior can be talked about as kind of being them you know they're uh naughty or angry or you know wh- whatever it is um and um yeah it's really important to recognize actually there's always some sort of communication of need or feelings behind it um so just ensuring that the school is having that t- um type of conversation and and you are as well so that you can be more solution focused i suppose um and um supportive rather than kind of um because yeah what tends to happen if, if you focus on behavior as kind of um the main um thing to sort of fix i suppose is that you kind of um you can sometimes actually make it worse you know things like sort of maybe rewards or um you know punishments or things like that um if you're not re- understanding the um causes of the behavior they can just make it worse if the child for example is you know dysregulated and not kind of um able to control what it is that they're doing um um so yeah just ensuring that conversations kind of have that kind of tone about it and and communicating as much as possible I suppose so gathering information from the school in terms of you know when what and how you know this behavior is presenting um to build a picture of you know what the triggers might be and um what is being communicated and similarly is is the behavior happening at home as well um and what you're noticing about that so that together you can sort of build a picture and sort of come up with a sort of plan together in terms of um you know what you've noticed that helps and what you've noticed that makes things worse and um how the school can support in terms of um being prepared and preparing the child and and yeah just putting things in place that are going to set them up for success I suppose sorry to jump in but when you think about it if a parent if a school does come to you and say your child's misbehaving it's an opportunity essentially however they phrase it you know that's to do with them you have an opportunity to find out more to give them more insight into your child maybe they need some background maybe they need some context um if you if your child becomes more of a human and they understand more of their home life, the teacher's going to have a much more thinking, feeling response as well. So you can be helping the teacher support your child better, linking to what Karen says. It's a real, it can be such a powerful relationship to, when you can both support each other. Mm. So it sounds from what you're saying, like the binary way of thinking about it, where either you take a carrot approach or a stick approach, that doesn't really benefit either the school or the parents who are trying to help the child. Yeah, definitely. I think the carrot and stick approach is so tempting because it feels like it feels quite clear, I suppose. 
a lot of us might have been brought up on it a little bit and 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 um a way that's going to maybe make, make behavior stop and it can be effective actually um especially kind of in a in in the short term but i think often in the long term it's just kind of masking problems and potentially making them worse um because i suppose you're presenting to the child that um yeah that essentially the behavior is just behavior and that therefore they can make it stop um which yeah is sending the message you're not really understanding kind of the whole person that's behind that behavior and wanting them to be open with you about what they're experiencing and um what might be leading to it so it can yeah it's not not saying it's you know to write it on necessarily in all situations like we're all kind of guilty I think of like bribing and threatening and certain situations and things like that but I think as a general rule of thumb especially for like big um challenges you know things that ch children are really struggling with that seem to have an emotional basis and um and yeah I wouldn't probably recommend that as kind of the only strategy I think you as as a parent know are most acutely sensitive to your children and you're likely to know if there's a real emotional complexity to the behavior you're likely to know even if you even if you haven't yet thought deeply about it and wondered why and you might have done both of those things but so it's in those times when you really want to recognize the gray areas of what they might be doing and the meaning behind it but as Karen says, rewards and sanctions are a part of parenting as well. And it's the combination, isn't it? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with aspiring to a reward and, and thinking working hard will bring good things to you. That's a quite a useful life lesson. So I think it's about combining those or being a thinking parent, but also having some of the more standard responses. I suppose um, another grey area, as you say, or linking very relevantly into working hard gets re rewards. Do you have any tips for parents of children who are maybe reluctant to do their schoolwork or their homework that they're not really putting in much effort and maybe they're just not sure why? It's a tricky one, uh, a very common one, I think. Um, I suppose... Um, as we've been touching on as we've been going along I think the why is equally important in this situation so kind of um being curious about about what some of the um hesitations might be um so for example is it is it a matter of kind of lack of engagement with the subject does it is there any way you could make it a bit more exciting for them um to kind of enter into um is it kind of a lack of confidence um or you know something that they're not understanding and they're not being able to ask the right questions in which case you might want to kind of work with the school especially if you notice around it's kind of a particular subject um or or is it potentially a sort of growth mindset issue where a child just really struggles with kind of frustration and is kind of worried about um yeah entering into that feeling of frustration um and so yeah is there work to be done around helping them accept those feelings of frustration and can you model for that as well model that for them as well that you find things frustrating but you stick with them and um so there's lots of 
things to be done, but it's important to kind of have an understanding of maybe where where the behaviour is coming from. And then practical things as well to kind of set set children up for success with homework. So, um, you know, it is their, especially as they kind of grow older, their responsibility to kind of get their homework done. But parents kind of have a sort of, I suppose, supportive management kind of role around that, about um, setting up where they're going to do their homework, um, maybe being in close presence. So, you know, it's not a sign of lonely experience um helping them be organized and kind of motivated you know maybe sitting down and making plans with them so that they know kind of what they have to get done and are able to prioritize you know just sort of helping them develop those skills as well that you know uh um that they don't have so much when they're younger but they'll need when they're kind of older to um uh be successful really yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with all of that. And and it's lots of simple things I'm sure your parents are thinking about, like taking regular breaks, having short periods of learning, maybe using a timer so it's really clear, so they know where they're heading, they know it's going to end, and having some motivation in the break, something that they're looking forward to. Because if it's, if it's not complex, sometimes it's just they'd rather do something else and it's a bit boring and why not do something they'd rather do mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's about you know some you know your child is it that in which case i think encouraging them to learn to focus in short bursts and taking regular breaks but always having a moment to say at the start if you've come from school how was your day you know so to make sure there's nothing they're carrying over and then the last thing they can cope with is straight to homework and then at the end you know how, how did it all go what have you got to should we do a quick recap just being that person that's there holding being very holding around it as much as we can which isn't always easy for parents that might not be there at that time so all of that i realize each individual's got a, a different scenario do you see using laptops and phones and ipads and you know this massive search in technology which i think everyone can agree on do you think that's just part of growing up nowadays? Should parents be trying to limit that? You know, perhaps that's one of the motivations for the kids in these home homework breaks is that, oh, you can go for five minutes on your phone, or you can have an hour screen time at the end of your homework, you know, et cetera. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it is, it's, it's a part of life. There's absolutely no pressure. It's a part of learning as well. It's a part of socializing. It, it enters into increasingly ever, every aspect of our lives. I think, everyone pretty much accepts that now and there are loads of positives coming out of the things children do online but absolutely we need to manage and control it because they're well specific things tech companies have built in addictive capabilities so sometimes it's really hard to stop uh, i think a major thing to be which we're all aware of is that tech is the real enemy of sleep and there's so much research in, in the importance of sleep in emotional development as well as learning capabilities. And we don't even need the research. We, we know we need sleep. Um, so we do need to manage that because children cannot do that for themselves. They probably can't see the bigger picture. Um, and there's lots of guidelines around. You, you choose what's right for you, but certainly at night time, not having tech in rooms or there's loads of ways to think about it and find out the best plan for your family. And then it's a matter of sticking to it, which is harder. Mm -hmm. Karen, do you have anything to add to that? 
Um, I suppose in terms of, I think Chloe's totally right that it's quite individual and that, yeah, we recognise that it's going to be there in some form as well. Um, but I suppose if parents are maybe trying to one trying to work out whether it's too much or you know kind of make those boundaries for for themselves as a family, um, I suppose it's thinking about um, the other things that are really important to have in in life as a family. So sleep is definitely one, but um, exercise, time for playing, time for socialising, time for connecting. And so if it feels like that is out of balance, like as a family, you're not able to do as much of those things as you feel you need to do because of um, screen time. And that's when to try and kind of bring it back back into balance, I suppose, and limit it. Yeah, like Chloe said, it's a really challenging one, the actual how of, you know, going about that. Um, but I suppose like lots of other boundaries, it's kind of being really clear on on what the boundary is and then what is up for kind of negotiation within that, I think. And and as children are continually growing up and developing, you know, all these boundaries need constant renegotiation. And I think that's something about being one of the hardest things about being a parent, which actually goes back to our relationship with our children, that needs constantly renegotiating and to remain close. I mean, in terms of mental health, the biggest protective factor is to have a close, safe, available, reliable, caring adult in your life. And so keeping that attachment and that connection is, is key and as families, amazing if you can do that work on that together as well and that's not going to be happening on a on a screen i suppose this ties in as well when it comes to sibling rivalry you know there might be a lot of parents who are just seeing it as quite a black and white issue of oh my children are <laughs> they're rivaling each other you know they're not getting on very well do you think that's a far more deep-rooted issue does that go back to that communication and that trust could you maybe explain that a little bit um, I think, I think it's just probably more of a complex issue. Um, and like everything else we talked about kind of needs investigating in terms of, um, what are the root causes of it? Um, cause it might, um, be exhibited in, in quite kind of standard ways, potentially like arguing over toys or kind of, um, aggression or name calling, but that doesn't necessarily mean the, the route behind it is always the same. So like just thinking about your children and how you know them, you know, like, yeah, it could be that um, it's a rivalry over you and your time and your affection. Um, and so what can you do about that? You know, can you, even if you do have quite limited time, can you just make sure that there's some special one-to-one -one time with each child and um, yeah, just making the most out of the time time that you do have um or is it a rivalry with the, with purely with each other I'm mean, not purely but yeah is that the main kind of issue that maybe siblings kind of close in age and um they're very competitive around their kind of abilities and and things like that so um then the focus might be more on um yeah how you celebrate their kind of individuality and just really making sure that you kind of don't um like compare them or kind of just encourage kind of competitiveness um in any ways um or is it just other 
stresses in their lives. It might be actually they're having problems with their peers and they're picking up kind of um, unhealthy um, habits or aggression or um, name calling. So getting to the bottom of that and exploring their feelings around that. So unfortunately, this is all like no kind of easy answers, but um, yeah, definitely the same approach across the board just to kind of be more curious um and wondering kind of with your child where where it's coming from and um making that time to kind of explore together and have those um open conversations but I, I think you know tips kind of across the board that are gonna help all families is just um you know, creating lots of positive memories together, encouraging children to play and bond, um, you know, things like teaming them up against you is a lovely way to kind of, um, <laughs> lovely way for them, maybe not so much for you to, yeah, to kind of build connections. Um, and, you know, when you do see conflicts arising, trying to empower them to resolve them as well and not always kind of come to you um and feel like it's unresolved unresolvable for them you know certainly if there's kind of a physical violence or kind of name calling um unhealthy name calling involved it's time to get involved and kind of stop that but a lot of things you know like kind of around sharing and things like that you know children can actually be left to it a bit more and um sort out themselves or you might just kind of watch their interactions and just notice for them you know just kind of say just say what you're seeing without kind of putting any judgment on it just so that the children can notice for themselves actually how they're behaving and um, the impact that's having on on their sibling um yeah I think all those things will be helpful kind of whatever the reason is whatever the cause behind it is yeah and I think as as a parent as incredibly difficult it is maybe reminding yourself sometimes how much your children are learning from the dynamic from negotiating from living in a space with their sibling who they may have competitive feelings they're learning who they are in relation to another and it's challenging and if they when they get through that they've developed as a human and they're going to take that out into life and they're going these intimate relationship they've had is a really special one um which is something to treasure and another thing to add as well actually i guess is just and with all the things we talk about it as well it's like just modeling as well so just being really calm in your interact you know how you respond to their difficulties but also you know if you've got a partner at home just modeling healthy communication with your partner and you know that doesn't mean never arguing but yeah arguing in a healthy way where there's kind of open communication and people are staying calm as much as possible children learn more often by what they see than what is kind of told to them so that's really important I think with everything really and I think that the concept of of rupture and repair so relationships go wrong as they're going to see it in terms of our modeling when we have an unhealthy argument with a partner they're going to live in an environment that is not always exactly ideal um, and so showing that we repair relationships afterwards so so modeling the apologizing I, I I, re I regret shouting you like that. I felt overwhelmed. My emotions, you could see I was feeling angry and I'm really sorry and I love you. Um, and that's not what I, when I said that, it was because I was angry and I'm really sorry. 
and, and just hearing that you do that and meaningful, not the kind of children must say sorry, just hearing you and seeing you care and repair a relationship, really powerful. Mm. Well, I mean, you've given all of us some very powerful things to think about that, what a wealth of knowledge in sh such a short amount of time. I think we'll wrap it up there. So Chloe and Karen, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure to talk with you both. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. And we would advise that if you'd like to know more, please do refer to our show notes. Goodbye.